it's kind of different, but I feel like some people need to hear this today. God loves you. He adores you. I would say that he is filled with thoughts of you. Desperate thoughts of you. Doesn't matter what you've done. I know some of you have done some really good things, but there's also been some of you, I believe, who have a lot of things that you'd rather no one know about. God knows what you did yesterday. He knows what you did this morning. He knows what you did two weeks ago that you're, oh, you hope no one knows. He knows you fully. And he loves you. Even if you don't have it all together, because he knows that. He knows you don't have it all together, even though you don't. And you still think you can kind of manage everything on your own. He knows you completely. And he's not waiting for you to be perfect before he will accept you because he loves you fully. And since the beginning of time, he's had this crazy plan for you to love him too. He's done this because because that's what he is. And he's not waiting on you to get it just right before he'll offer it to you. So since the very beginning, since the moment he made us, he knew we'd fail. And he chose anyway. And the plan was that to get us to know him was to get us with him. And the only way to do that was if he made the ultimate sacrifice. All because he loves you. I don't know. I just feel like somebody needed to hear that. So we're talking about Yeshua today. For the next uh, few weeks, we're going to be talking about Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. It means God saves. It's a form of the word, the name Joshua. Today's sermon is going to be a little different. Um, We're going to be in a few places today. If you want to put your fingers there, you can. But I'm going to kind of go back and forth. I'd like to just stay in one text, but today we're going to be in Matthew 21. We're going to be in Matthew 27 and then Hebrews 9. We're even going to take a journey to Leviticus for a second. We're going to kind of be all over today. But I wanted to share with you some things that I've learned this week. It's pretty cool whenever you learn things, whenever you're studying, you know, you think, oh, I'm just going to be reminded of things that I know. But I'm learning some things. That's exciting. And I'm going to share it with you. So bear with me today. And uh, I would like us to pray as we begin. Please pray for me as, as I speak today, that the Spirit would flow through me to you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your love and your spirit and your grace, mercy, forgiveness. Lord, most of all, thank you for the plan you've had. Lord, the attention to detail you have shown since the beginning. Lord, and thank you for loving us. And 
For those people in this room today who need to hear that, Lord, I pray that that word does not leave their mind at all today or even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so it was the month of Nisan in the Hebrew calendar. It's the very first month in the Hebrew calendar. People were beginning to stream into the city. And the city officials were consistently making the town ready uh, by fixing roads, by fixing drainage, by fixing walls. You know, the temple priests, they would spend, you know, hours fixing this temple. They would repair all the mikvahs. Those are the baptistries. There were lots of baptistries all around the temple because you had to be ceremonially clean before you could enter the temple grounds. Uh, they would repair the doors. They repair the gates They leading into the temple. And for this particular festival, they made scores of temporary brick ovens. Brick ovens all throughout the temple grounds and a little bit outside this temple mount. It was, after all, Passover. This was the holiest, one of the holiest weeks in the Jewish culture. It brought thousands and thousands of people into the city and eventually up to the Temple Mount where the sacrifices would eventually be made. But in the midst of this journey, in the midst of the excitement, as people journeyed to town, as merchants would begin setting up shop, as guards would scan the horizon for any trouble or problems or suspicious people that would emerge, a crowd somehow was gathering across the Kidron Valley. People were lining the road towards the east gate, and there was lots of noise and singing. You know, people often sang as they approached Jerusalem. You see this in the Psalms. So if you're looking at the Psalms, you see this little underscore under a psalm, and it says, Song of Ascent. And what that is, is that's a song they would sing as they were ascending up to Jerusalem. Psalm 120 through 134, those are some of the songs of ascents that they would sing. Psalm 121, what does it say? It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? It's not the hills. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Imagine that sung. Imagine hearing all of the noise and being able to, to pick out some of the tunes that people were singing as they were coming up to the temple. Jerusalem is now louder than usual, but on this particular day, the people were gathering on this road outside Jerusalem. Palm branches were being waved in the air. Shouts of Hosanna. They're yelling at this man riding a donkey. Down the mountain, it was the teacher, Yeshua. He was coming to celebrate Passover too. Celebrate with the rest of the people. Yeshua, God saves salvation. Passover still practiced each and every year. Religiously, traditionally, culturally, even if you're not religious. Even today, you know, it's the one festival that continues to remind the people of God uh, that, that He hears our crying. He hears it when we're wailing and when we're sad and oppressed. He cares enough even to participate in our life. And most importantly, He will bring rescue to us. And He'll bring salvation. 
In the story, it's told again and again, year after year. While the Israelites were in Egypt, I'm going to tell that in a little bit. While the Israelites were in Egypt, they had become slaves. God had rescued them from certain death in the midst of a famine years and years and centuries before. But as you know, people have short memories. People tend to get a little power hungry. And some people just forget what kind of people they really are and just how loved they truly are. And so you had Pharaoh. He didn't remember anything. All he knew is that he wanted power, and there was a lot of people who were giving him problems, and they were immediate labor. So he started to be oppressive, and he started to make things really difficult for them. And they kept growing, and he kept getting scared. Things became unbearable. So Israelites, they cried out for help. God heard them, and he sent them a Savior named Moses. A Messiah. Now Moses did what the Lord told him to do. Even though he grew up in the midst of all that Egyptian culture. God called him and embraced him. A Hebrew. To rescue his people. And through Moses, God showed the Egyptians that things... He showed them, oh, he showed them things that were unbelievable. But they still wouldn't listen. Hard-hearted, rude, stubborn. They were so wicked and so corrupt that these disrespectful people just completely ignored and dismissed God. And God had to get their attention. And there's no other way to do it. So what he did was he sent an angel to get their attention. Death would come for the firstborn of every family in Egypt. Every family in Egypt. Humans, animals, surely that would get their attention. But the only way out was to smear the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of every Jewish family throughout Egypt. Death came to Egypt that day. And to the firstborn of every family. But for those who were covered by the lamb, the lamb's blood, there was life. Unharmed. Safe. They were saved. This is a moment God wanted them to remember. So He said, celebrate this moment. Remember that I paid attention to you, that I rescued you, that I brought you out of Egypt, that I saved you. Remember, do not forget. Practice this each and every year, the same time every year. Practice. So that's what they do. It is a holy day. Continues to be a festival. The blood being the symbol, the sacrifice that this lamb would make, the continued uh, that, that it, every year it would offer salvation, it would offer forgiveness, rescue from the slavery of whatever it is that is holding you. The blood is the key, according to Hebrews 9 22. It says, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's inherent in the law. The author of Hebrews is actually referring to a passage in Leviticus 17. 
whenever he says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Because it is blood that makes atonement for one's life. Blood is important. It is, it is our life. And when we sin, when we are headed towards death, sacrifice must be made. With that blood, it would provide forgiveness and atonement for that sin. And each time these people would do this, they would remember that salvation moment. Every time they practiced this, God would offer them forgiveness. No matter what they did or how they struggled, there was forgiveness through the blood of the Lamb. And this is how Passover began in Egypt in around 1451 B.C., about 3,500 years ago. So in Matthew 21, we see this. A very large crowd spreads their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Now, Yeshua had probably been coming to Israel since he was a boy. He'd probably been there 50, 60 times. A lot of times they would go two, three times a year. But as, in, as, as Yeshua entered, the, entered Jerusalem in this holy week, he entered into this festival that had been deeply ingrained into this Jewish culture, both ritually, traditionally, and about four days before Passover, the tradition was, the ritual was, they would have to select a year-old lamb. And then they would, in some stories, the lamb would live with the family. They'd stay with them, they'd eat with them at their table, they'd, they'd sleep in the same room with them. Of course, that wasn't that uncommon. If you, if you had animals, they would be going in and out of your house a lot. But this lamb was special. And I'm sure the children would, would take it, care for it. It stayed very close to their family. It became part of their family in some ways. In those four days, they would also spend time getting rid of all the leaven in their house because it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread that started the day after Passover. They'd get all, rid of all leaven because leaven, as you remember, it signified those things that can kind of grow uncontrollably, those things that can grow out of control. Things that it's like sin. So they would get rid of everything. They would cast out any leaven that they would have. They would also take those four days to check the lamb for blemishes. To see if this really was the perfect lamb. The best option for who, what they would take to the temple priest. Because it needed to be perfect enough for sacrifice. And when the day came, the families would head to the temple mount. They would sing as they went. They would start bringing the lambs to the temple about 9 in the morning. And then they would wait their turn, probably in line, until they handed the lamb to the priest who would kill the lamb. They would hang it with its limbs spread. And the lamb's blood would be collected by the priests and then poured on the altar. The ovens were used for the meat as they would prepare the lamb for eating a little later in the day. And about 3 in the afternoon... Uh, 
a priest would go to the corner of the temple and he'd blow the shofar. And I have one right here. He'd blow this shofar. It was a ram's horn. This is actually a kosher animal, a, a great hoodoo. You ever heard of a hoodoo before? It would signify that the lamb had been slain. Okay, I'm going to try this, y'all. So, I played trumpet whenever I was 12, so I can do this. If you're a professional, you can do about three notes on this. <clears throat> Here we go. Thank you, thank you in the back. I don't think I'm going to try this again. But the way that they would blow it, these people who were seasoned seasoned professionals, probably been blowing these things since they were children, it was loud, it was shocking. And they would do this when the lamb, the first lamb, had been slain. Letting everyone know that forgiveness had come. And the shofar is significant. It's the horn of a kosher animal. It signifies the ram that God provided Abraham whenever he went to sacrifice his own son. And he said, no, 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 I'll provide. So ever since then, they have taken a ram's horn. Some of them are smaller, but they're crooked, and they're supposed to represent our stature and posture before God. Abraham faith had faith in God, and God provided. And they would blow this horn to let them know, the whole city of Israel know that God had provided. They would do this in the very beginning of the new year. They would do this at Yom Kippur, It would do this about three or four different times throughout the year. So people look forward to this moment when the shofar was blown. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52, we see this. It says, in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The trumpet is a shofar. And it might just be the very last thing you hear before you see your creator face to face. So the priest would blow this shofar as as the sacrifices began and people would begin to sing this Passover halal. They had a group of priests in the front of the temple who would sing this Passover halal. And thank you, Ron, um, for reading those selections from 113 to 118 because that's the songs they would sing. Psalm 113 to 118, they would, they would sing that entire selection of, of psalms, and it meant Passover, salvation, rescue. It's a joyous occasion, all signaled by this shofar, the sign that, that, that signals forgiveness had come. It was a clean slate, a brand new start for them, and it was something that, remember, John promised in the very beginning of his Gospel of John. Whenever he said, Behold, in 129, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So during this final week of Yeshua's life, as he entered this city, as the people celebrated his entrance, the people chose their lamb without even realizing it. The final week of his life, he lived with them. He ate with them. He became part of these people's family. And for Matthew and Mark and Luke, what are the first things, what's the first thing that that Jesus does when he enters the city? He cleans the temple. He goes in and he casts out all the leaven of his father's house. He gets rid of those things that have grown uncontrollable. The sin. Those things that are destroying the family. He cleans the temple. For the entire week, you see, if, if you read in Scripture, as soon as he enters and as soon as he cleans out the temple, they start grilling him with questions. Question after question. Difficult situation after difficult situation. And Jesus answers everyone. They're checking him for blemishes. Is he really as perfect as he says? When they're, when they're asking him these questions, he's responding. They have no words for him. They can't say anything back because he's, <laughs> he's God in the flesh. Jesus, the Lamb. Even the Roman governor Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. None. So what did he do? After the ultimate authority in that land said, there is no fault in this man, what did he do? He gave the lamb over to the priest. To be hung on a cross with his arms outstretched and his blood poured on the altar of a cross. In Matthew 27, verses 46 and 50, it says this, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. In the afternoon, just as the sacrifices were beginning, people throughout the city were waiting, waiting, waiting for forgiveness to come. Another ritual to cover them just a little while longer. At least until the next sacrifice. They waited to hear the sound. The sound that would prove to them that God was paying attention, that God had rescued them once more, and the sound that was meant for hope, for a better life, for more blessing. Maybe this Passover shofar would also bring with it a Messiah who would come, and a kingdom maybe straight from God Himself. And as these people waited in anticipation, little did they know that God himself had offered his own sacrifice. And the lamb he gave was perfect. Willing. Meek. True. It was a sacrifice that would be so perfect that there would need to be no more after that. So when Jesus died, the lifeblood of the first lamb was also drained. 
And as Jesus gave up his spirit, the priest, at the same time, would walk to the corner of the temple because the ultimate sacrifice had been made. Forgiveness had come. Life was here. And as Jesus breathed his last, the shofar blew. The sound heard throughout Israel. The sound of victory. The lamb has been slain. Forgiveness had come. Let's all stand together.